trial, each storm is allowed by our Lord for the purpose of encouraging us to place our trust in something about himself that maybe we've already been taught. He's already shown us what he can do. And the storms force us to go back to that thing that we learned about him and trust him in a whole new way, in a different occurrence, a different circumstance. The storms of life, we all face them. And sometimes we all face them together as we find ourselves in the middle of this pandemic, right? Welcome. This is Graceful Truth with Pastor Steve Converse. Today, we take a look at faith in the midst of fear. Join us, won't you, as we are encouraged from God's Word to see our way through this by His grace and through His strength with His understanding. Here's Pastor Steve Converse now with today's broadcast of Graceful Truth. Join us. Did you know that he offers you peace through the storms of life? Christ, throughout his word. John 14, 27. Listen, peace I leave you. My peace I give you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Then he says this, let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let it be afraid or fearful. He says in John 16, 33, these things I've spoken to you, that in me you may have, what? Peace. In the world you have tribulation, you have trials, you have all sorts of things, you have viruses, but be of good cheer. <laughs> I have overcome the world. See, we can be confident that Jesus, who experienced perfect peace in the presence of this storm, is always with us in the storms that we encounter. He offers us that perfect Peace. He offers his own perfect peace in our storm if we just accept it. So the storms will come, but Jesus is with us in them. The thirdly, we do the best thing we can do during a storm when we cry out to Jesus. Verse 25, and they went and they woke him saying, save us, Lord, we're perishing. I mean, the disciples certainly did the best thing they could. I mean, these are seasoned fishermen, seasoned sailors. They didn't know what to do in this situation. They did the only thing they could do. They cried out to Christ. They cried out to Jesus. They woke him from his sleep. Matthew tells us that they cried out to him, Lord, save us, we are perishing. In the original Greek language, this this very crucial prayer, it's only three words in length. It's only three words. Literally, it's translated this way. Lord, save, we perish. (laughs) That's what they're saying. They didn't have time for anything else in their minds. It gets right to the point. By the way, it's a fantastic prayer. It's a fantastic prayer. Analyze it with me. The word Lord. We see that they knew who to go to. And they also had the manner of reverence they should as they approached him. They didn't walk up to Jesus who's sleeping in the boat and kick him and say, Hey, you, get up. We're perishing. They said, Lord. In that first word, they recognized and admitted his authority, his power to deal with the situation. Why? Because they, they saw his power and authority on display. To call him Lord in this case was to confess his deity. Really, they're saying, God, help us. The second word there, save, not only did they know who to go to, but they knew what they needed. See, there's a lot of people that come to God, but they don't know what they need. They cried out, save. Why? Because they needed to be rescued. They needed to be saved. They laid out their need before their Lord because they knew if he didn't intercede, they would The third word there, perish. 
They stated their situation correctly. They rightly understood how hopeless they were unless, unless they, they did what he told them to do. They cried out to him. In their mind, if he didn't help them at this point, they were lost. They were going to die. I mean, this is really a great, if you want to call it a sinner's prayer. Lord, save or I'm going to die for all eternity. Lord, save me, I perish. So you can't be saved unless you admit a need. You can't be saved unless you cry out to him as Lord and plead with him to save you. But this also happens to be a perfect prayer to pray in the midst of a storm. We're in the midst of the storms of life. The perfect thing to do is to cry out to Christ. So many times, he's the last one we cry out to. I know many people dealing with different things in their life, whether it be relations or finances, whatever. And what do they do? They go to all the experts on all the books, counseling books, all the stuff. And Christ is saying, just cry out to me. I, I am the one that can deal with your situation more than anyone else. The perfect thing to do is to cry out to Jesus. We must, as it were, awaken him with our prayers. And it doesn't have to be some detailed prayer or flowerly prayer. Lord, save or I perish. See, Jesus isn't interested in our creative speaking abilities. What he wants from us is our hearts. And when he has our hearts expressed in our crying out to him in prayer in a time of trial, guess what? He responds. I think that's why one of the reasons why our government authorities ask for a day of prayer. Because I think they're at their wit's end. But it's not by mistake. Think about it. The most powerful man in the world states, you know what? We just have to pray. <laughs> Doesn't even matter what his own personal faith is. Who cares? He's pointing in the right direction. He's saying, we don't got this. We need some divine intervention here. Psalm 50 verse 15 says, call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. How do you respond in the day of trouble? Do you worry? Do you fret? Or are you quick to go to your knees and cry out to God? Fourth principle, before Jesus rebukes the storm, he may first wish to rebuke our lack of faith. We forget this, but it's so true. Verse 26, and he said to them, why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Notice he just didn't wake up home. Oh, wow, yeah, yeah, be calm. No, he didn't do that. He let the storm rage for a couple minutes as he lectured them on their lack of faith and their fear. It says, then he arose and he rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. See, Matthew tells us that Jesus awoke in response to their cry. Their cry for what? Their cry for help. But he tells us before he rebuked the winds and the waves, he rebuked his own disciples. What does that say about their condition? Well, Jesus says that they're fearful. Are you fearful? As you look around at what's going on around us, you probably weren't too fearful six months ago when you logged on to your account and looked at your IRA growing, growing. Wow, this is great. Look at the economy. Everything's going great. Whoa, now everything's, the bottom's falling out. A little bit of fear there. A little bit of question mark. What's going on? What's interesting here is this Greek word. It's not the normal word for fear, which is phobos. That's not the word he uses here. This word means timid or cowardly. It suggests a kind of fearfulness that is unbecoming, a, a kind of fearfulness that is inappropriate, that is even at times sinful. The only other occasion that this word is used in the original language is in Revelation 21.8. In Revelation 21.8, we're told the cowardly shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone. Same word. 
It's the only other place it's found in the New Testament. And look at what Jesus says about the cause of their sinful condition. He says the reason you're in a sinful state is because you have little faith. He calls them, oh, you of little faith. See, their real problem was being shown up by the storm. And the real problem was their lack of faith in Christ. All that they had seen of him, all the miracles, all the incredible things that he had done, it hadn't sunk into the heart level with them yet. They saw it with their eyes. They maybe not understood it with their mind, but it was in their intellect. They could tell you what Jesus had done, the people had healed, the miracles that he had performed, but it didn't sink to their hearts yet. They didn't really understand who he was and how because of who he was and because of the fact that he was with them that they had absolutely no reason to be afraid. I read this last week of a seminary student in a preaching class as he was preaching through this passage. He told the class that the man who is asleep in the boat with them was none other than the Son of God. And no matter what else might have happened because of the storm, that boat was definitely not going to go down. Period. In his message, he said this, if the disciples had just relaxed, they could have enjoyed the ride of their lives. Think about that. See, I believe that's a great way to describe each one of us in our own walk through life with Christ. Sometimes we just need to relax and enjoy the ride of our lives. Yeah, it may be up, it may be down. It may be blessed, it may be not at times. You might be faced with hardship or trial. I'm not, don't want to be misunderstood. I'm not being flippant about the trials that we have in life or we go through because they are real. And some of you are experiencing them right now. At times they're, they're horrible, they're terrible trials. But see, each trial, each storm is allowed by our Lord for the purpose of encouraging us to place our trust in something about himself that maybe we've already been taught. He's already shown us what he can do. And the storms force us to go back to that thing that we learned about him. And trust him in a whole new way, in a different occurrence, a different circumstance. In this situation, the disciples were clear about what Jesus could do. And they were about to see more. And so in faith, they should have been bold. They should have been confident toward Christ. They definitely should have turned to him as they did, but very calmly, very confidently. They should have awakened him and said, you know what? Hey, Lord, uh, we're about to perish here. Uh, Save us. We really look forward to how you're going to pull this off, Jesus. And you know what? We'll we'll even give you the glory in advance. Thanks for doing this for us, but this boat's getting a little rocky. How are you going to handle this one? And then sit back and watch. See, in the storms of life, if the Lord doesn't often wish to rebuke us for our terrible lack of faith in him. So oftentimes he wants to do that. And he does that before he rebukes the storm to teach us a lesson. I mean, I wonder if he doesn't ask us sometimes, don't you think I know there's a storm? I mean, I'm God. I created everything around you. I know everything there is from eternity past to eternity present. Why in the world are you being so cowardly? That's really what he's asking them. We should learn to trust more in the promise of Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Be anxious for nothing, right? But in prayer, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. 
And what? And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. In other words, you're not even going to comprehend why you're at peace. It will guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. Well, the fifth principle we learn here quickly from this passage is about being with Jesus in the storm. Jesus is able to change a great storm into a great calm with just a word. Look at verse 26. He said, he arose and he rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. The Bible tells us that. Now imagine that. He actually scolded the weather and the water. I mean, this would seem crazy to personalize wind and waves to talk back to them like he did. But the results speak for themselves because it says that there was a great calm. Luke tells us that the winds and the raging of the water ceased. Think about it. You're in a boat at one point. Waves are filling the boat. Everything is tumultuous. You think you're going to die. Jesus gets up and said, okay, that's it. It's over. And you look out and the lake is as clear as glass. There's no more water in the boat. Everything's back to normal. There wasn't like it died down over a period of time. Do you understand this? It was gone at his word. In a moment. The raging sea with incredible waves, the wind, the rain, it all stopped. And it became like a sea of glass. Perfect calm. Why? Because... In Matthew 28, 28, Jesus said this, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. I don't know why this surprises us. Colossians 1, 15 to 17 says, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and on earth, visible or invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things consist. He proved this when he was in the storm with his disciples. He was able to do the same for us in the midst of our storms, in our lives, and in our nations. Because the storms are always under his control. He is able, if he so commands, to turn it from a great tempest to a great calm. Sixthly, here quickly, Jesus proves through storms that he is sovereign over all areas of our life. Look at verse 27. And the men marveled, saying, what sort of man is this that even winds and seas obey him? I mean, can you imagine what it was like in that boat after the calm set in? After that calm fell upon them? I picture Jesus on one side of this small fishing vessel. And all the disciples sitting on the other side. So the boat's kind of leaning right this way. And Jesus is on the, hall, the high side of the boat. Everything's perfect. Everything's just perfectly calm. And Jesus is just looking at his disciples. And they're just sitting there with their mouths open. Like what has just gone on? What have we just experienced? What sort of man is this? They're asking. The affirmation behind their question is that he is no mere man. This is not a mere man. He is the sovereign God who is able to command even the wind and the sea, and they obey him. And the implication for us is that he is able to command far lesser things than the wind and the sea, and they too will obey him. If he can command winds and waves and seas, he can command everything else that comes into our lives. 
His call to us in the midst of these storms is that we trust him to have absolute power, absolute control over all that comes our way. And then to lean on him as our strong, our all-sufficient help. Psalm 107, verses 23 to 30 says this. Psalm 107, 23 to 30. Those who go down to the ship Go down to the sea in ships who do business on great waters. They see the works of the Lord and his wonders in the deep. For he commands and raises the stormy wind, which lifts up the waves of the sea. They mount up to the heavens and go down again to the depths. Their soul melts because of trouble. They reel to and fro and stagger like a drunken man and are at wit's end. Then they cry out to the Lord in their trouble. And he brings them out of their distress. He calms the storm so that they are glad because they are quiet. So he guides them to their desired haven. Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness, he says in verse 31, for his wonderful works to the children of men. Let them exalt him also in the assembly of the people. And praise him in the company of the elders. The last thing today is when Jesus rises, principle seven, to our rescue in the storm, the result should be that we worship him. It says they marvel. What sort of man is this? When we look at the Gospels, we find it's even more profound. In Mark, it says they feared exceedingly. In Luke, it says they were afraid. What's interesting is this isn't the same word that was used for cowardness earlier. This is the word phobos. And it can be understood to express deep and heartfelt reverence. It's kind of like a holy dread fell over them when they saw what he did. They realized who was in the boat with them. They realized who it was that had rode through the storms of life with them. See, outside the boat, at the command of Jesus, a great tempest had been replaced by a great calm. And as a result, inside the boat, cowardliness had been replaced by holy, reverent fear. When we trust Jesus to see us through the storms of life, whether it's a virus, whether it's financial, whether it's our relationships, our marriage, our kids, whatever it might be, he takes us through to the other side and shows us more of who he really is. And as a result, if we truly learn what he seeks to teach us through the storms of life, we come away from that more in love with him than ever before, more in all of him, and more surrendered to him. Our worship of God occurs when we see our great God for who he really is and respond to what he, we see in an appropriate, heartfelt way. See, it's in the storms of life, beloved, that we see who Jesus really is. When we go through the storms with Jesus, and if we're trained by it as we should be, We'll come out the other side worshiping him. Let me ask you a question in closing. Are you being thrown about in the midst of a storm right now? 
Are circumstances in your life beyond frightening, outside of your control? That's what fear is. It's a lack of control. Then take to heart the lessons that we've covered. Don't be surprised by the fact, even when you follow Jesus faithfully, you're going to find yourself in the midst of a storm. It's part of his plan for growth, for development in your life. Be confident, secondly, that even if it seems like he's asleep, Jesus is still there in the storm with you. And he knows what's going on, and he's able to do whatever is needed. Thirdly, remember to cry out to him. It's the greatest thing you can do in the midst of a storm. Don't be silent. Don't stuff it away. Pray. Tell him what concerns you. Fourthly, be of good courage and strong faith in the midst of a, of a storm. Don't be timid or cowardly because of a lack of faith in him. He loves you. He's never going to abandon you. But don't give him a reason to rebuke your sinful attitude before he rebukes the storm. Fifth, rest assured in the knowledge that he can transform the storm from a great tempest into a great calm with one word. Sixthly, watch and learn from him. He'll teach you in the midst of the storm that he is sovereign over every area of your life. And even in the wind and the, even the wind and the sea must obey the commands of the one who is your greatest friend. And most important when it's all over, when he proves himself once again, worship him. Worship him with everything you have. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 and 25 says, Let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as we see the day drawing near. Father, we thank you for your calm, your peace in the midst of life's storms. Lord, this virus is nothing to you. You could rid it off the face of the earth with one word. But Lord, you've allowed it in your, your sovereignty and your, 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 your plan and your purpose. And I can't help but to think that maybe it's to bring people to their knees. Those who are intellectual, those who are powerful, those who think they're in control of everything when really they're not in control of anything. You are. And until we're willing in our own hearts to acknowledge your sovereign control, your lordship over all that we have, over all that we do, over all that we experience in this life, we don't truly know you. You have to acknowledge that Christ is Lord and Savior. You can't pick one without the other. I pray today if there's people here who have yet to put their faith or trust in Christ for their salvation, I pray that they would take heart from even the prayer we looked at. Lord, save us, lest I perish. Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. That's the kind of prayer that God will answer when it's prayed from a sincere heart. Don't trust in maybe some false commitment you made years ago when you were younger. Maybe you raised a hand at a camp or walked forward in a service, but you haven't seen Jesus do anything in your life since. Guess what? He's not in your life. Very clear. Because the Bible says, if you love Christ, you will follow and you'll do what he commands you to do. 
I pray that you would come to Christ. I pray that you would acknowledge your need of a Savior. Forget your past religiosity and forsake all to follow him here today. Indeed, that is our earnest prayer here at Graceful Truth and Grace Bible Church in Redwood City. If that is a need you're acknowledging right now, we would love to hear from you. I'll give you our contact information here in just a moment. As we close out our time today, I'd like to remind you that you can join us for worship online, gracebibleonline.org. Again, gracebibleonline.org. Sunday services are at 10 a.m. And you can catch replays there as well. And you can also join us at gracefultruth.org and catch past radio programs too. Again, a couple of great resources for you online, especially during this sequestered time that we find ourselves in. GraceBibleOnline.org or GracefulTruth.org. If you'd like to know more, either one of those websites will be a great place to start. Or give us a call, 650-366-9923, 650-366-9923. As always, this is a listener-supported ministry. We are able to come to you each and every week here on this radio station as you come alongside and partner with us financially and prayerfully. There is a cost involved, and again, we rely on listeners like you to partner with us that we might continue this ministry for others here in the Bay Area. Please consider that as you contact us, and then join us next week for another broadcast of Graceful Truth with our teacher and pastor, Steve Converse. Until then, God bless. Graceful Truth is the ministry of Grace Bible Church in Redwood City.